Today, we are going to talk to a foster mom whose life flipped upside down at the most unexpected time and she held it together. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. Today we have a special guest and a fantastic foster mom. Um, Today we are so happy to have Chrissy joining us. Hi. Welcome, Chrissy. Thank you guys for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show, so it's exciting to be a guest. It's so good to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. We have a very important question to ask you right off the bat. What is your favorite drink at Starbucks? (laughs) That's so funny because I actually am not a coffee drinker. So if I go to Starbucks, I'm usually getting a tea or a lemonade. I am not a Do you like a sweet tea or unsweet? Anything that is sweet, I will drink. So you like hot or cold? Oh, definitely cold. Okay, so a cold sweet tea from Starbucks. Yep. I don't drink coffee either, but I go to Starbucks almost every day. <laughs> you might have to introduce me to some drinks that are not coffee. Though. I mean, I just get sweet tea or a chai. I get a chai. Yeah. yeah. Have you had chai? No. Chai is my favorite. I have to get a chai. Yeah. I think so we good. all need to go get a chai there. Yeah. Pretty soon. Sure. Well, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? All right. So let me think. I'm a teacher. I currently teach middle school, but I do have some background in elementary. I right now have four kids. My oldest is 12 and I adopted him eight years ago. Also has autism. So he brings a lot of light into our world, but also make sure that everything is structured (laughs) uh, because he really needs that. It helps him. It helps all the kids actually. Okay. So about a year and a half ago, I adopted my four-year-old and then I just took a placement this past week. And so I now have an eight-year-old girl who is absolutely precious and her beautiful baby brother who is about six months old. Uh, Can you tell me, Chrissy, what is your favorite thing to do um, with your kids? Well, right now it's summer, and so we do love to go to the pool. I haven't taken them to the beach yet this season, but we do every summer have a trip out to the beach. But pretty much anything outside, whether they're kicking soccer balls in the front yard or we're walking through the neighborhood or swimming at the pool, Mm -hmm. just spending time together outside is absolutely our favorite thing to do. Awesome. What is your favorite memory with your kids? My favorite memory with my kids, that would be our summer vacations. We go to the same spot 
every summer, which is where I've been going. I went with my parents, so it's been over 20 years that we've been going to the same place. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Is it in the state or out of the state? It is. It is in the state, and so it's just, we always... Have, we do the same things, the mini golf or laying on the beach or swimming in the pools. And, you know, they go from the splash pad to the kid pools. And each year it's just we get to go back and it's familiar. But it's also sometimes we have new faces or we get to compare. Oh, look how little you were last year Aww, when we sat on the fountain and took this picture. That. And sometimes there's 10 of us and sometimes there's four of us, you know. <laughs> but that would be my favorite memory because it just builds every year. You know, we grow and we change as a family. That is so cool that you've been doing it for so long. I love mm-hmm. that. I yeah, love that so absolutely. much. Can you give me one word that you think people would use to describe foster parents? I think most people consider us very selfless. They understand that we are inviting children into our home and we are embracing them and everything that comes with it. I think people realize that these kids have had some hard experiences they don't necessarily understand trauma and how it affects the brain but they do have a heart for those kids and what they've what they've been through and so i think when they consider foster parents they think that it's a very selfless act to invite these children into our home and take them on as part of our family do you think that's true about you um That's hard to say because I get so much out of being a foster parent. So to me, it's not a one-sided situation. It's not just me being uncomfortable and making new beds or getting the shoes and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I get to see these children grow. And for some of them, this is the first time they've had stability. It's just really an amazing experience to be with these kids and they come and they're hurt and they're scared but they grow through that whole process and their parents grow so it's just a really I wouldn't call myself selfless because although I know that we go through some discomfort in the beginning we get so much of it as a family by having these children in our lives and their families so I would not pick that word I don't think That's so funny that you say it like that because, um, well, first of all, I do think you're a very selfless person. Like, for sure. You go through some pretty um, extreme stuff to take care of the kids in your home, and you just do so much for them that, you know, isn't for your own benefit, it's for theirs. But I always laugh because I think a lot of people... Um, like, it actually makes me uncomfortable because people be like, oh, you're such an angel. Oh, you're such a saint. Oh, like, there, the world needs more people like you. And honestly, I don't feel selfless. I feel selfish. Like, I get to wake up in the morning and get those kids snuggles. And I know that they really want to be snuggling their parents and their parents really want to be snuggling them. And sometimes I just feel so selfish that I'm the one that gets those snuggles and gets to spend those moments with those kids. So I totally get what you're saying. Like, it's so rewarding that I feel like, you know, I'm not not being rewarded for what I'm doing. I get to hang out with these kids. But um, I do think that that's like a pretty common theme. And you know, that's good because, like, I wouldn't want people to think I'm doing this for, like, a, a bad reason or, um, you know, something nefarious. Like, 
you know, my heart is just in helping. But um, yeah, I think I think that I definitely agree with your viewpoint on that. What made you want to be a foster parent? Well, I think since I was young in high school, I had always had intentions of adoption. And so that was always kind of in the back of my mind. But with foster care, I became involved because I'm in the education system. And so Mm -hmm. I had seen lots of kids and any teacher you speak to, we always have those kids who are like, oh, we would take them home in a heartbeat. We would take them home in a heartbeat. So when you meet a kid that you just adore and you find out that they are in a situation where they're in the in-between and they, you know, they may not be living with their birth family right now or they're working towards that and you're thinking, oh, I could be, I could stand in the middle, I could open my door. So that's really why I got into foster care was because I thought, I, I see these kids, I see them walking my halls every day. And that's something that I have to offer. I could be a foster parent and help in that in-between. How long have you been a foster parent? So I have been a foster parent for three years. I'm starting my fourth year this month. But um, you've made such a difference in our community in those um, three years that you've been a foster parent. And I'm grateful that you're one of us. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Can you tell us a little bit about... Uh, the big change that happened in your life shortly before you adopted your four-year-old? When I became a licensed foster parent, I was married. I had my son, who was nine at the time that we started fostering, and we had a new home, and we brought children into our home, so seven children at the time, and all of a sudden, it was out of the blue. I found out that my husband at the time was leaving and he did not have a job. He was moving across state. It was just very much, you know, middle of the night conversation. I was completely blindsided. We were a month away from adopting our four-year-old. And if you've ever gone through that process of fostering a child and moving towards adoption, It's a long process. It takes months. It takes lots of paperwork. So to say that I was caught off guard is putting it mildly. I mean, I thought I knew where I was going to be not only the next day, but 10 years from now. And all of a sudden, it was my entire world changed. And with seven babies sleeping under my (laughs) roof that night, my first thought was, what about them? what is going to happen to these kids because they were my they were my priority and again this conversation happened in the middle of the night and i could not sleep because i thought what does this mean what does this mean what does this mean and how can i make this as smooth as possible for these children because i did not want them to suffer any more than they already had of coming Mm -hmm. into care. And here was this fatherly figure that, like me, they just assumed would always be there. And that was going to be taken away from them, too. So it was very important to me to keep as much stability for them as possible. Um, I did not know what that meant for my license. I did not know what that meant for my son's adoption. We had two other children in our home. Their goal had been changed to adoption and 
thought, you know, for sure they were going to stay with us forever. So there was just a lot of questions, but I had to look at it of the lens of my children. When I became a single parent, well, first of all, I had seven children and I had a van that would only hold seven. One big piece right there is one of my children, he moved in with his brother. So that was already part of in the works prior to this happening, but he um, was, we expedited that and he was able to get with his brother, which was wonderful. It was just every day something new came up and with that adoption, I think they just assumed because my four-year-old had medical needs and here I was on my own that I had changed my mind. And I said, oh, absolutely not. I Just tell me what I need to do to continue this process. I still want to adopt him. But part of the paperwork for adoption is you have to do a financial spreadsheet and all of this. And even though you receive a stipend for being a foster parent, you have to be able to support those children without that stipend. So here I am, solo parenting on a teacher salary <laughs> with six kids under my roof, was not receiving child support at the time because my divorce hadn't wasn't legal yet. You know, they're like, well, how are you going to do this? You know, I got a lot of like, kickback and don't you think he would be better in a home with a mom and a dad and that was very difficult for me because I do have an awesome relationship with his birth mom and I felt like I was letting her down too you know I said I'm gonna fight and I know in my heart since the day I put my eyes on that child he was mine and so I continued to work through and I luckily have a strong support system I said if I have to teach tutor kids in the middle of the night I will do whatever it takes to prove that I can provide a safe and loving home for him for the rest of his life because that was so very very important to me so initially his adoption was set for August of that year and it got pushed back to November which wasn't bad but they also expedited it at the end because it was getting close to National Adoption Day and but there's just some things that you know and I knew that he belonged with us you know your life was one way in the middle of the night it completely flipped a different way were were there times where you questioned whether you wanted to be a foster parent to continue being a foster parent? I'm not going to lie. There are plenty of times that <laughs> I've tried to, you know, move out of the foster care system. Well, so when this happened, initially, it was about those kids who were in my home. And I did tell myself more than once, once these kids have their forever, then I can let my license expire. And so over time... Those kids, they found their forevers, whether that was adoption or reunification. But the way that your license works is that you do all your paperwork and everything, you get your house checked out, and your license is good for a year. And so once those kids found their forevers, I thought, okay, I'm not going to renew. I am not going to renew. And I would take respites here and there for friends and that sort of thing. But I thought, I just really need some time for myself. But it always happened. You know, I, I had a foster mom friend. She was moving out of county, and they couldn't find placements for her kids. I was like, okay, I know these kids. I've got a bed. They can stay with me. You know, then they have that stability. So I kept it another year. So there was always something that kept me renewing that license and, and keeping that open, even though, yes, there are times that I told myself, 
not sure I should be doing this anymore. So one of the things that's interesting about this is so many people want to wait for their life to be perfect before they start fostering. You know, we've talked before, lots of people always say, oh, one day I'm going to do that. And I've always wanted to foster. Um, I, you know, I just can't do it right now because all of this is going on in my life. But, you know, the truth is that nobody's life is ever perfect, right? When I initially began, you know, I got this new house and I was in a job that I was very comfortable with. And that would be a time that you would consider to be perfect, right? But I've actually been a solo foster mom longer than I was a married foster mom and had a partner. So what I can tell you from... Being in that position where everything was turned around, I learned that what it felt like for these kids when they when they show up at your door and they didn't know where they were going to lay their head that night. Sometimes they don't know me from Adam, you know, and last night they were with their parents or last night they were here or there, a place where they were comfortable and they're coming somewhere where they're not. And if anything, it gave me that empathy to understand what it feels like when your world is turned upside down. Parenting by myself, I've had to rely on other people. And I think when I was uh, with my ex-husband and we were foster parenting, I was very independent. Like, I'm going to do this myself. We can figure this out. Didn't mean I didn't ask for help now and then, but I'm not afraid anymore. Like, I, if I need help with this, I will text this person. I will ask this person. And it, I realize that it's okay to ask for help. And that's not just with foster parenting. That's with everything. But it does truly take a village to raise your children. And I have just spread my wings when it comes to opening up that village and making people aware of what's going on in foster care and if they don't want to be a foster parent here's some ways that you can support me but you're right I mean by getting in staying in the foster care system even when I was going through so much chaos I realized you can do it like you as long as you have an open heart and a willingness to do whatever it takes to make things right for these kids you can do it and you're going to have support around you, whether that's other foster parents or that's the guardian ad litem program, you know, relying on case management. You know, there are people there who are going to be willing to help you. So and what is perfect? You know what? My house mm-hmm. is completely different than your house and any other foster home. I mean, your house so is perfect. a lot cleaner than my house. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, though, for sure. You know, to to make excuses like, and I don't mean to call it an excuse because fostering isn't for everybody, but fostering is for a lot more people than who are doing it. And to say, oh, I'll do that when my kids are older or, oh, you know, I want to wait for this to happen or, you know, I've got a lot of hours that I work every week. Like, you have just shown that none of those excuses are really valid because you're a single foster parent with special needs kids working full time as a teacher, which is extraordinary. And I just feel yeah. like, you know, even if you think your life is perfect, that is going to be perfect at a certain point, you could go to sleep one night and have a conversation with your husband and everything is different the next day. And in the meantime, we don't have enough homes with open doors to children in the foster care system. It's true. It's true. It really is extraordinary that you came through your own trauma during this time and you had so much resilience. I was at the pool yesterday with the kids and 
a neighbor came up, you know, because they come in with the baby. She says, who's this baby? I said, oh, he's mine. She said, can I hold him? And I said, yes. But, you know, as you we were talking more and more, and she just said, well, you have a lot going on. You have a lot going on. And in my head, I'm thinking, so do these kids. Yeah. yeah. You know, so do these kids. And because I opened my door, a brother and sister get to be together. Yeah. They, and that was really important Well, to maybe because... Mr. Jack is inside trying to steal your baby right now. <laughs> I'm not sure if the beeps have come through, but he won't stop texting me pictures oh. saying that he wants you to uh, leave that one there. But yeah, so it's so cool that you were able to get siblings together and maintain yeah. uh, your license. I think this. people often use that you have so much going on as like an accusation. You know, like, you're so busy. You have so much going on. You know, but the reality is you're doing one of the most important things you could ever do. Oh. But, and yeah. I will say, even, I, you have to also know your limitations. And so that was, I had a placement. He transitioned to a pre-adoptive home about April, I guess. And I did not take placements from that point until school got out just because everybody knows how busy it is at the end of the school year and I knew I I could not take a placement and give it my all during that time. We we were going through changes as a family from elementary to middle school and my job and that sort of thing. So I did do respite in the meantime because if you do respite that does open some beds of potential long-term placement. So I did respite, but I'll tell you, as soon as school was out, like my phone was ringing, how about this, how about this, how about this? But it really tugs at my heartstrings when they talk about siblings separation or when we have kids in group homes. There is such a need to keep siblings together because a lot of people don't have enough room. They may have children already in their home that are adopted or biological when they become foster parents and then may only have a bed for one kid. And that's okay because there are lots of single kids. And if you've got one bed, it's better to help out with that one bed than not Mm -hmm. help at all. But I know when my three girls got reunified with their mom a couple weeks ago, they were calling me before we had even loaded the car because there were so many sibling groups sitting in the office that day that they were really trying to keep together. I think that the child welfare system is changing and they're realizing that more. But like in the past, I think they often will se- would separate siblings with without question. I do think they're making more of an effort now, but it's the longest relationships we have. You know, long after like your parents are gone, you know, I mean, hopefully we get to keep our siblings yeah. You know, it's and I think that often we don't realize that. And I often will hear foster parents or other people in the child welfare system talk about how kids don't get along anyway or there's a lot of rivalry. Well, you know what? My kids don't get along. My kids have a lot of sibling rivalry, yeah. but they their relationships will last much longer than I will, hopefully, you know. And so those relationships are really important. And when we separate them, then we're causing more trauma. So keeping those siblings together. I think there are certain situations where it's not best to keep siblings together and maybe we could have you on another episode and talk about that because I know you're one of the situations that I know of that 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 I've seen like in certain situations certain siblings um, may create more trauma within each other. It's true but Um, it's a lot more rare. But but the thing is that when there aren't those situations and they're placed together initially right off the bat I think that's really important because a lot of the times they're scrambling to find placement and they you know just get kids where they have beds right off the bat 
And then two years later, they if the kids need to be adopted, they're trying to put them back together. Yeah. And then these kids have grown apart. Yeah. And I think that is really where the problem is. Whereas if they were able to be placed together initially, barring certain situations where, yeah. you know, you've got mental health disorders Obviously. and behaviors where yeah. they just aren't safe to be around like other Or like certain perpetration kind of things. Yes. There are those issues. But we've had way too many siblings that were separated yeah. for just no good reason other than... Other than there's not space. So, But what do you think the biggest surprise about being a foster parent was that you weren't expecting? I think you read a lot about the heartbreak of being in the foster care system and or being a foster parent and people saying all the time, I couldn't do that because of the heartbreak. I couldn't do that because of the heartbreak. And you spoke about that a little bit a minute ago. And I agree 100% because foster parents will tell you it's worth it in the end. It's worth it in the end. It is absolutely worth it. I am surprised that I keep doing it because there has been so much heartbreak with the the kids and my family and watching my boys have their heart hearts broken. You know, that's really hard too. But I know in the end it's made us all better people. But honestly, both of us are foster parents. I wouldn't give it up for anything and I know you wouldn't either. No. And, and the heartbreak is so far outweighed with, you know, the joy, the happiness. You know, you were talking about how it affects your kids. And, you know, my son has struggled a little bit with having his three sisters go home um, a couple weeks ago. But seeing the joy that he has. And yesterday was probably, you know, as you know, you were talking about um, that you didn't want to take a new placement until the summer started, right? Like a a long-term placement. And what I wanted to mention there was that uh, one thing that people may not know unless they're a foster parent is that really, for the most part one of the hardest times of a foster placement is when they first come to your house. You know, you talk about the honeymoon period, how they're on their best behavior when they first come. First of all, they're not all on their best behavior when they first come, always. You know, you definitely, they definitely might be, um, uh, depending on the age, they might be showing you their good side because they're scared, they don't feel safe with you yet to show you their bad side. However, they've also just been extremely traumatized, right? And also, they don't know your rules. They don't know your expectations. And so a lot of the times, the hardest part of a a placement is right at the very beginning when you're getting used to each other. So I think we just hit our stride. So we took uh, three new kiddos that are siblings the day my girls left. And um, that was uh, almost two weeks ago. And I want to say that we just hit our stride like a day or two ago where up until then I felt almost like I couldn't breathe, like I was stressed all the time, I was anxious and questioning myself, like what did I do? Um, And obviously, you know, I've been a foster parent long enough to know what I can handle and what I can't handle. But in that first period of time, I I feel like you would would probably agree with me that it's it's very difficult, it feels chaotic, it feels like... um, they're not, when are they ever going to listen to me? When are they ever going to start acting like my other kids? And, you know, you just have to always remember. And I think that sometimes when people get a placement and disrupt right away, it's like you have to give that kid an opportunity to get to know yeah. your house, mm-hmm. yeah. to get to know. And it's not just them. It's my kids, too, because my oldest son gets upset when people don't follow rules. Yeah. He's not as 
you know, uh, upset when he doesn't follow the rules. <laughs> that's but, a different story. You know, that's a different story. But, you know, the first um, week that the kids were here, it was constantly like, he did this and why won't he listen to the rules? It's like, you got to give them time to get yeah. used to it. So then my kids were acting up because they were mad that these kids weren't following rules. And, uh, you know, it just takes a little time to... Yeah. And I think, too, like, you know, that first year of life, kids are developing trust. And when you have a baby home from the hospital, you know, they you get to do that when they wake up in the night and you retrieve them. And when they cry and you retrieve them. And sometimes I wonder if new placements do that, too, in the first few months. If they're... If they are through their environment wondering, is she going to come when I cry? Is she going to come when I call her? When I get hurt, is she going to come? You know, I know it's just a tiny splinter, but if I cry, will she come? I wonder if they're developing, well, they are developing trust. But I often relate it to that first year of life when infants are developing trust. And we get so frazzled because we're like, oh, my God, they won't. I mean, none of my babies (laughs) slept through the night till they were one. And it was was so hard. and now I look back and I'm like, it's probably because I was so anxious uh-huh. and I probably made them so anxious that they didn't sleep. But, you know, sometimes um, when I work with kids, I often, and, and their parents are, uh, their foster parents are like, they're doing this, they're doing that. And it seems so clear to me, they're seeking out your trust. You know, they want to know if they can trust right. you. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure from like the nucleus, it, it seems probably really chaotic. But. Anytime I get a long-term placement and oftentimes respite, one of them is sick. You know, this week, it does it was always happen to always you. Always to yeah, me. It's always. pneumonia. It's, always. Uh, lice, which, you know, may not think it's a big deal, no, but oh goodness, deal. especially when they've got super thick, long hair and you're having to tug on their oh, hair. And I, yes. that's it, your story made me think of it because they thought I was just torturing them. I'm like, no, I promise I'm trying to help you get these out of your hair. Um, I mean, stomach bugs, you name it. I get new placements and they'll, they'll be sick, like right off the bat. But I will say it, although I do not want any child to suffer in any way, shape or form, they are learning, like, I am going to help you feel better. Mm-hmm. I will sit in this doctor's office for three hours. I will get you yeah. the medicine. I will be up at night holding back your hair. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get in trouble for throwing up on my carpet. Yeah. You know, like, they're, like, I think it is a bonding time, although I don't want anybody to be sick. And it is a little bit miserable. It does allow us, you know, to bond through that. And some of these children, you know, they've parent, they've been the parent, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. if they're the oldest. And so, for them to be cared for yes. is just, yeah. it's really opening for them. It opens that that trust and that mm-hmm. bond. Now, a question for you, uh, Kat, is, you know, I, I will say that a lot of kids do come into care sick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do feel as though Chrissy is kind of <laughs> the extreme version uh-huh. of that. Like, it's almost like, oh, she's got a new placement. There's got to be someone sick. Is there... Um, a correlation between going through trauma and your immune system. Yeah, it does decrease your immune system. You are more likely to be to get sick when you've been through trauma. So I would, you know, most kids at removal are going through a trauma in that yeah. moment. But a lot of the times, like when I look at the reports um, afterwards of kids who've come into care, it's like that whole week there was mm-hmm. something going on that just build and build yep. and led up to it there yeah. is a correlation there between is a trauma. correlation because it's increased cortisol decreases your um immune system and the increased stress the increased trauma 
So pair yeah. that with if there's um, sometimes when there's neglect mm-hmm. or drug abuse, the kid might not be, um, you know, always brought to the doctor when there's an issue. Add on top of that a decreased immune protection uh-huh. due to the anxiety that they're experiencing from the trauma. You know, a child might already be having chronic ear infections or whatever. You know, those things might already be happening and. You so know. you must just be getting the really stressed kids from the really <laughs> bad trauma. Because well, do you remember? You do you remember that placement I got? And because um, they do, when the kids are brought into care, they get kind of an, a medical yes. overview. Except anyway, and so I had this one little guy. He wasn't even two yet, and they said he couldn't walk. Uh, he was twenty months, and we sat him down, and he he walked, but it was more like a waddle, almost like he was dizzy. You know, when he walked really awkwardly, and we were like, "This is, you know, strange," and it lasted. I mean, more than twenty four hours. Well, ended up taking him to urgent care. But long story short, he was in a car accident. Oh right! And he was not restrained right before he came into care. Like, oh, but oh my gosh! Yes, right. They're like, oh, but he. We looked over him and he was fine. I'm thinking, well, he was not <laughs> fine. He was not fine. He was not fine, and we ended up going through all all of that. You know, he ended up having scans and all of these things. Remember, he couldn't jump on a trampoline oh, for yeah. like six months, and he's my very athletic one. So anyway, it was kind of one of those like you guys forgot to mention. That and wasn't it like dropped him off. it was a car accident that was like part of a car chase, which was like the result of him coming into care because he was in the car for a car chase and there was an accident. So you would have thought that they would have told you about that right off the, the bat, bat, since that was why he came into care. Exactly. You would think, <laughs> but he was also the one that they said, "Well, you just keep one night." You, I think you were the one who orchestrated that. Oh man. Yeah, it's I, possible. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes when placement calls me, uh, or if I'm chatting with somebody from placement. Uh, and I know somebody has room that, that other people might not know about. I'll be like, hey, by the way, call so-and-so. I bet, I bet you can get them in there. So yeah. That's so funny. I, I, I enjoy, uh, you know, forcing kids <laughs> on my friends sometimes. Well, and, you know, I don't know, like, back to the, you know, kids being heartbroken thing. I don't know that, like, I can even say this in a way that sounds eloquent enough. So we might have to, I don't know. But I, I was reading some research recently that talked about how when youth and young adults seek out images on the internet that are not appropriate, those are often kids and young adults who haven't been exposed to any life experience that's caused them to have significant emotions, like both negative and positive. Like they haven't had a lot of sadness. They haven't had a lot of heartbreak. They haven't experienced like, you know, just having their heart broken at their grandmother's funeral. They haven't experienced also a lot of joy. They haven't experienced like true life ups and downs. Mm. And so when my own kids experience ups and downs, I'm so sad, you know, like when they're experienced, like, you know, when their experiences are really sad, but it does, I do feel like there's a protective factor that, you know, gives them resiliency later on. And you know, I know that they will not be probably seeking out those experiences artificially because they're experiencing them naturally. Probably. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. very organic. And that's I will say that's, you know, you understand with your kids that I call them my forever kids. But, yes, they go through the heartbreak just like I do when kids go in and out. Now, they don't know the background of, you know, where these kids are going or why these kids are going. They just know, you know, my brother's not here anymore or my sister's not here anymore. But... 
it has molded my kids in to have such empathy and compassion. And, and mm-hmm. that's not a typical character trait of autism. But I will tell you, my 12-year-old knows how other people are feeling. You know, he can read those facial expressions, which is difficult for some. But he, and he, he loves these kids when they walk in the door and he's sad when they leave. But you're right, like it, it's teaching them, like, you know, to be thankful for what they have and grateful for what they have. But also, we can do hard things, and we're going to come out okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm very fortunate that I've had a wonderful life and great parents and awesome siblings. And, you know, that made it sometimes difficult to relate to what these kids are going through. But again, I've had a point in my life where everything was turned upside down, and I said, I'm going to figure out how to get through it. If these kids can get through it, if they can come in my door and open their hearts to us, I can do the same. I can fight through all these challenges and I will figure it out. I'm pretty stubborn one way or the other, you know, to keep them safe and to give them that consistency and show them, especially I had some female tweens in my house at that time. And I wanted to show them, you can do this. You don't need a man or a partner. You know, you can find that inner strength. You have it within yourself. You can do anything you put your mind to. So do not let anybody tell you that it can't be done because it can. What do you think got you through this time? Like, what support system? What tools did you use? Well, my parents played a very big role in all of this. Um, Unfortunately, they were in Japan, Um, on the night that all of this happened. Of course, they had to be halfway across the world. But, you know, my, my parents loved these children. They loved my children fiercely. And they've had their hearts broken by foster care just as much as I have. But we are family and we'll do anything, you know, for each other and to help each other. And so sometimes that meant, you know, I was at work, so my mom would go to court. Uh, My mom helped with transport because I had, you know, six kids at four different schools. And so she, she would help get two of the kids to one elementary school, which wasn't the one I was teaching at. Um, I had a neighbor who would help with transport to school. Um, I became very close with another single solo foster mom. We had always been friends, but at this point it was kind of like we did a lot of like, let me drop this kid off with you because I got to take this one to the doctor. And, you know, so we did a lot of that. Our kids were really close. Um, I found a church program that just embraced all of my kids and allowed me to drop them off and go to service and have time to myself. Um, I also had to learn to take care of myself. And that is what all the people who helped me, they would tell me, like, what are you doing for you? And so I figured out a way to give myself a little bit um, of that time um, because I think if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say definitely my parents, other foster moms and and neighbors. And I I had to be very... um, vulnerable I think with some of those those people and letting them because it was hard for me to say I can't do this by myself you know but you know I I had a friend she showed up at my door the next day and you know I think she just knew she just knocked on my door and she said hand me the baby you know go help the girls with their hair I'm here I'll do whatever you need and so I had to accept that I had Mm -hmm. to be willing to accept that and know that that didn't mean I was a weak person it just meant that I was putting my kids first. 
What do you think the best thing is about being a foster parent? My, I, and I know I've texted this to you and you've mentioned it in one of your other podcasts. I, my favorite part is working with those birth families and, you know, whether they are working their case plan and getting really close to reunification. I've had kids who've reunified and that's awesome. I've also had cases where those kids, their goal was changed to adoption, but I still kept in touch with them and with that birth family because in this these situations, it was safe to do that. Um, but I think family is so important, and I want my children to know that, yes, you know, I am your mom. You guys call me mom, um, and we're here, and I'm always going to be there for you. But you also have people that gave you your eyes, that gave you your skin tone, that have those same personality traits and have your smile and have you know, all of these things. I want them to know where they came from, mm-hmm. and I didn't replace that. You know, that that's not something I would ever want to do. Um, I want to care for them and I want to give them the best life possible, but I want them to know that there, there are other people that love you just as much as I do. And I want to keep them in the picture. I don't want them ever to wonder, you know, where did I get this from or what is this person like or dislike? Um, what would you change about the foster care system? What I would change about the foster care system is I really do, well, first of all, we need more foster parents. If I could change that, that would be awesome. But another thing that I would change is I really, really would like them to stick with that one year to permanency. I just, in my experience, I I have seen cases drag out way too long. Oh, yeah. Just way too long. And I have seen the negative impact it has on these kids. I think the longer we stretch this out, um, the harder it's going to be. And I know in your recent podcast with Mac, you know, she spoke about like if how it helped to kind of spark her once her kids moved from relative into foster care that kind of got things moving. I really think you're going to know right away is, is this parent going to do what it takes to get their kids and let let's let's do that and let's get them back with their parents as quickly as possible yeah one of the things we've been talking about recently is when you look at a kid who's been in foster care for a really long time or has aged out what you often see is that that initial thing that was supposed to take a year took years and by the time the kid got through it they were so messed up and traumatized mm-hmm. You know, if they're not going back to their family, they're um, not wanting to be adopted. They're getting disrupted from adoptions because of the behaviors that have developed because they've been there so long. Chrissy, what do you think our community could do to have less kids need to be removed from their families? But I think it goes back to that whole, you know, be a village. I think a lot of people are afraid, you know, to ask for help. And we have these kids who come into foster care. So... When you see people in your community struggling, you know, let's work together. Let's ask for help. Let's make our community welcoming and understanding and compassionate, even with the way that you approach people in the grocery store. Um, What we need to do as a community is we need to be accepting of parents and children and just hope that everybody is doing the best that they can. And if they need help, Let's give them help. Always, always 
use kindness when you're dealing with other people. Okay, I think that's a great way for communities to have less kids come into care for, for them to just work together and be the village. Right, because we do a lot for, you know, like churches do a lot for foster parents. They can do those things for biological parents too. you know, just match those efforts and resources and neighborhoods and things like that. Um, What would you want biological parents to know about foster parents? Foster parents are in it for the kids. And we want you to succeed because we love your kids. And because we love your kids, we're going to love you. And we are here to help you, to support you, to be that bridge to your recovery, to your healthy living, to your healthy parenting. Um, we are not trying to one-up you or it's 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 not about that because love is limitless and I feel like you love your kids. We love your kids too. We love you. We are going to work together to get through this. And that's what foster parents want. I'm not, I'm not trying to have a forever. I don't I don't want your child forever and ever. <laughs> I want them in my hearts but not in my home. I want to we want to see you succeed. We want to see the change in our community and in order for that to happen, it starts with the birth family. It starts with you guys. I will do anything to support you and help you because when you make a change and you get your kids back, that's changing the path for your children. And that's going to change our community because they've watched you struggle and they've watched you come through it. And while you worked through that and figured that out, they were in a safe and loving place that supported you as well. I think that's really important for change because we have a lot of foster children that their parents were in foster care. It's a cycle, right? And that's why we have to just work together to make that change so that next generation hopefully will have those healthy parenting models and a lot of times with those parents they just need support they didn't have that growing up and maybe they still don't have people so as a foster parent I'm not just there for the kids I'm there for their parents but if we are in it together for the kids then it just benefits everyone. I think you make some really great points because, first of all, the more people who love a kid, the better. And kids so much benefit when they have all the people that they love in their life. But also, when parents reunify, so often they have to eliminate people from their lives that they might have previously identified as support because those people are not good for them. And that leaves them with, maybe they had little support to begin with, but then that leaves them with sometimes no support or very, very little support. What do you want the public to know about foster parents? I would like the public to know that anybody can do this. Um, You just have to be willing to go the distance for these kids and their parents. It's not just about the kid that walks in the door, it's their parent too. Um, you want to have a network, a support system of people who will help you through this. And also, I know you guys have talked about this on a previous podcast, do not be dependent upon that stipend. And I and people say all the time, I don't know how you do it. I said, but you could. Anybody can do this. Yeah. Anybody. You can do this, and there are people that will support you in, in doing that. It yeah, and if you're local, we'll support you. Come be our friend. Like, we'll, right. we'll watch your kids. We'll, we'll give you some, like, hand-me-downs. Like, you're good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to hear your perspective and hear your story.
Well, I hope that those listening that are worried that their life's not perfect or this knot's in line or you're waiting for something specific, I hope that this just sparks you into realizing there's no need to wait. These kids do not need perfect. They just need love. Kids are coming into foster care every day. Yes, absolutely. Anyone can do it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.